the COPcast, 12 Days of COP. I'm presenter and journalist Peg Alexander. Welcome to this special bonus edition of the podcast. Now, the first edition of this podcast, I was with uh, Natalie Bennett, member of the UK House of Lords and a COP veteran, to talk about how it would all work. We said we'd catch up at the end, Natalie. Um, I think we're both looking a bit more tired. <laughs> And we were, uh, was it only 12 days ago? Now, you're still up in Glasgow. So the big question is, a uh, good cop or a complete and utter cop out? What? Where are you standing on this? We have got a deal. Well, I would go very, very long uh, along the road, the rail towards cop out. Um, not absolutely failure in terms of obviously leaving here with nothing, as we heard last night from many of the small island states. That would have been the absolute disaster. Mm short of absolute disaster but that's really not saying very much what we essentially have is um lots of people are talking about uh, uh 1.5 degrees being on life support well what it is is not just on life support but it's sitting um on a rail carriage in a siding going absolutely nowhere and you know all of the medical supplies are running out and it's going to be up to egypt next year to yeah. get that train on the tracks and accelerating at you know almost unimaginable speed to get to that 1.5 yeah because i mean un secretary general antonio guterres he talked about that he says our fragile planet planet is hanging by a thread we're still knocking on the door of climate catastrophe i read uh, someone else i don't know where this quote comes from but somebody else put it on social media he said it's as if i needed to jump across a four yard wide chasm of death and achieve a personal best of 3.9 yards close but no cigar that's what someone said there um yeah so i mean that's the thing i mean let's let's just try and be positive where we can fossil fuels mentioned for the first time coal mentioned do you know what? I can't actually believe it's the first time that climate change deals. You know, when you look at it that way, you go, how on earth has the world been discussing? Has, has been discussing climate change and it's the first time the word coal has appeared or the words fossil fuel have appeared. There is more money on the table. Uh, we can come back to whether that money will come through or not, given what happened last time. But there is more money and there are a whole raft of different deals that have been done around deforestation, um, new technology, methane and farming, as I say, more money as well. And the US and China signed a big deal themselves. So there is lots of stuff there to celebrate the question. And it's certainly with everybody's reckoning, am I right, that it will take us below two degrees? Is that what people are thinking? No, um, there was oh, okay. a early, early in the in the um, early in the the second week, I think. But um, what it came down to was, you know, the authority of conclusions put us still at two point four, which is runaway climate change. But I think oh, right. you know, even after the deal that was done yesterday, the last minute deal. Yeah. Uh, oh and, God. Uh, but, you know, where I would draw my hope from is the fact that there was actually two cops, and I've been calling it mm. the shadow cop or the alternative cop. Although um, it was actually a speaker from the Global South, I think from Bangladesh, who said, well, what we have is the good cop and the bad cop. <laughs> and the good, the, good, the good cop is the campaigners, the NGOs, the young people out on the streets, the indigenous groups. And you know, it doesn't get nearly as much coverage in the mainstream media. But what we saw is, you know, I was at a brilliant event called She Changes Climate, which was a whole lot of women activists highlighting the fact that there were so few women in the main hall mm -hmm. at COP. 
um, the Green Hub, where we had lots of alternative, you know, including an event calling for the creation of a fence of ecocide. There were many other alternative events happening around Glasgow. And, you know, even in, in, in the main halls, the scientists, the cryosphere pavilion was particularly good. And that's where all of the ideas, the energy, the innovation is happening, is in that alternative COP, the good COP. And that, you know, despite the enormous challenges of COVID, um, the difficulties of traveling this year, so many people you know, overcame amazing obstacles to get here mm. and to get together. And there's no doubt that this, um, you know, the green movement was not backed by the COVID pandemic around the world. You know, people weren't simply able to get out on the streets in the same kind of way, weren't able to get together. But really what we saw was a re-energizing, you know, a reshaping, a building of that here. And that, you know, is where we are going to, that's where my hope lies and where we, where yeah. the future clearly is. Yeah, and that seemed to me from what I could see, you know, not not just in Glasgow, not just in the UK, not but but right around the world. I mean, we spent quite a bit of time, didn't we, in the delegation we were with, with a lot of women from Africa and different places, you know, farmers, uh, people who were, were talking to me about, you know, about about the reality of what's going on and, and people much more talking about things because it, it it's so real. It's just so completely and utterly real. I went to a really interesting event at the uh, the Pakistan Pavilion that was talking about internal migration in Pakistan and, and the realities of climate change. And there was a report come out from a charity, um, Islamic Relief Worldwide, and they were talking about what needs to happen to stop the push to extremism, uh, by a lot of young men and things that we're talking about, the, the reality there of what it means for Pakistan. So clearly, you know, around the world, people hopefully are are talking about this much more. The question is, are, are they pressurising their governments, I think, really to uh, make the changes that need to happen? And I think one of the other sort of hopeful things is we often hear lots of um, negative talk about social media. And of course, it is responsible for lots of bad things. But also, of course, social media, you know, through COVID, so many people have had to accelerate going online. You know, mm. the Zoom that we're speaking on now, uh, other other brands are available. But um, you know, that means that people are able to get together, to link together, to share ideas. You know, I love occasionally I'll retweet someone um, uh, on um, for, who's you know in Portuguese or in some mm. other language. If I could just hit the translate button and you know make sense of it and be pretty be sure about what I'm what I'm, I'm retweeting and I can you know I can actually communicate with someone you know using that mechanism yeah. it's not perfect but it's something that was utterly impossible you know 5 10 20 years ago so we also have an enormous range of new tools available to us that can link all of this up and get um, people working together and of course you know without stereotyping it is the young people who are particularly good yeah. at these sort of things who are inventing new ways of communicating new ways of linking mm. up all the time and you know there is so much energy and you know i met many inspiring young people here at cop and you know, the figure that i just keep coming back to the fact that 40% of the world's population is aged 25 and under and you know they are the future in a very real sort of geographic sense but they are also the future and that's where the energy and the ideas lie and what it you know is a real responsibility for all of us to make sure those voices are able to you know not just talk to each other but be able to get front and center mm. not just as we had youth official youth day at the cop with you know a very small number of people I, I watched a press conference that was four young people and then i watched them go round from pavilion to pavilion to pavilion they were the young people at cop today and they were the same yeah. people and you know well done on them for doing everything they could but you know the tokenism was very very evident Oh yeah, but but as you say, hopefully, 
you know, as they start to get more of a voice. I mean, I, I went to events as well where I heard young people talking with a, a completely different mindset about what is possible and what is particularly around innovation, technology, those kind of things. And also just starting at a very, very different position because they weren't necessarily starting at the business as usual position. They were starting at a position of we have got to do something. We've got to make the change. The question is, how, how, do, how do we make the change? What do we do? Not, not do we make a change? Absolutely. So as I say, I think positivity, and you said to us right at the beginning on the first episode of the podcast, that would be the case, the, that what would be most important in a way is that we recognise this is a journey. It's not a destination, COP26. I mean, there is still, you know, we've got a massive, you know, country's going to have to come back next year to report next year in Egypt uh, to COP27 in Egypt. We've still got to get to a point, if we're going to hit anywhere near two degrees, let alone 1.5, we've still got to reduce our emissions by 45% within the next nine years. Is the worry though that they come back next year and then there's more rattling and meanwhile things happen, you know, those emissions aren't falling. Well, I think one of the things that's sort of fairly technical and it's all about talk, not action, but there is um, the ratcheting mechanism was essentially stepped up and the ratcheting mechanism from the Paris Agreement is that people have to come back with better and better deals. And you know, it, it was an agreement in um, yesterday's agreement that people have to come back next year with better arrangements. And so having that is better than not having that. I mean, you referred to some of the positives, things like the deforestation agreement in the first week. Um, the, the, the obvious crucial thing with all of this is, I've forgotten who I'm quoting, but one of the delegates last night said, this is now all about delivery, delivery, delivery. Um, and, you know, Promises, targets are all very well, but we actually have to see a turnaround in behaviour. Uh, and, you know, if we think about, say, you know, renewable energy, um, the technology is really with us. Mm. It's advanced far faster than anyone expected. Electric cars, albeit they're only a very, you know, part of the solution, the, the start for transport has to be walking and yeah. cycling, transport in city and towns and public transport. But nonetheless, you know, what will happen with electric cars? We're now very clearly on that path. And no one's going to want to be the last person to buy the last last fossil fuel car. So you know, once the flip starts, and you know, if you're going to have a factory, a factory doesn't gradually run down and produce you know fewer and fewer fossil fuel cars. It flips and changes to producing electric cars overnight. So yeah. you know, there are some areas in which which technology and you know current business practices will will help us. But you know, we still haven't got anywhere in the official COP a sense of getting away from business as usual with added technology, that we can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. Um, but that you know, is utterly taken as read in the alternative COP. And I'm, I'm slightly encouraged by the fact that I discovered that the Financial Times um, has actually done a review of two alternative economics books over the weekend, one of which is uh, Steve Keen's uh, New Economics and Manifesto. Um, and you know, I actually wrote the first review of that for Yorkshire Bylines a few weeks ago. Um, and the fact that the FT is reviewing books like that, you know, mm. the, the, the really intelligent, sensible end of our current system is starting to really get that we cannot continue with business as usual and is looking around for alternatives. And we've got to make allies in some sometimes surprising places. You know, the, the FT is also being quite interested in universal basic income, for example. And we're seeing along, across a lot of media quite a bit of interest in a four-day working week as standard. Um, these sort of changes, you know, we've got to keep pumping these ideas out yeah. because 
we're trashing the planet now and creating a thoroughly miserable society um, and getting across the idea to people that we're making people's lives better as well as essentially as we have to tackling the climate emergency is really key. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and you, know, uh, what, you know, at times I felt very cynical about it while I was there, but what was really clear was that I think a lot of the big companies have realised their profits are going to have to come through through adaptation and, and technology in the future, and they've got to change now. So, so um, you know, much as I, I I agree with what you said about us having to look at not business as usual, it was being pos- looking in, in positively. It was heartening to see at least a recognition that things have got to change. We're going to just finish off really, really quickly. Um, how did the UK do in this? You know, Alok Sharma, lots of praise from Ed Meliband this morning has been singing his praises. I think he was crying at one point yesterday. Uh, you know, I know it's a really quick answer, though. You know, has the UK led the way? Because we had the, the Rishi Sunak deal on the technology and innovation money. Is it fair? Can we now say that Boris Johnson has got decarbonisation done? Uh, absolutely not. And you, many people are praising Alok Sharma. And as chair, I think he did a good job. But the UK presidency has utterly failed to deliver, which was its job. And the kind of thing that that the UK, which wasn't in Alex Sharma's gift, the UK could have done in the last couple of days, for example, is had they signed up to the really innovative, really leading beyond oil and gas alliance, which is, after all, only promising to cut oil and gas use down to meet the 1.5 goal of Paris, um, say, 36 hours before the end, if the UK had come out and said, right, We've recognised we need to break this deadlock. We are going to join this alliance. So, and a gesture like that, which would have been in Boris Johnson's gift, but not Alex Sharma's, could have made a really big change in those last 36 hours. Mm-hmm. And the UK failed to step up. Instead, Boris Johnson, you know, whipped up here on the train, arrived and said, oh, fossil fuels, you know, this is really, really difficult, the climate emergency. Maybe we just can't deal with it, which was the least, you know, constructive, worst mm-hmm. possible thing that he could well, have done. We- we won't even mention things like the Cambo oil field or potentially the questions of airport expansions or road building or all those things uh, currently under discussion in the UK. Natalie, thank you so much for making your time. Good journey back down to Sheffield from Glasgow. Um, thank you so much for doing it and thank you for all your mm-hmm. efforts. And I know you've just been working like mad the last two weeks. So thank you so much. Well, well, thank you very much for doing this, Peg. And, you know, I'm afraid I'm heading for London because tomorrow it's the policing bill in the house. So uh, it it, it just goes on. (laughs) It just goes on, but keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Natalie Bennett. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me on this bonus episode of 12 Days of Carp. Now, you never know, there might be one or two more bonus episodes to come but it's been really great to have your company if you want to follow me i'm at tv radio peg on social media but meanwhile keep safe thanks for joining me